0: So I'm having a, a day today. I, I took a long walk and I was kind of reflecting on how much I love our industry and how much my life is is affected by, the, by how much I'm missing our industry being open and how without a production manager, I, I really don't know when to wake up. I don't know how to do many things in my life I, I have to do my own laundry catering's never where it's supposed to be it's just my life's a constant relearning of life skills and everything which made me start to think about people that are still motivated and still encouraged to enter our industry for centuries now the the theater and the entertainment industry as a whole has been seen of this as this band of merry pirates who are doing their thing and no, no rules can touch us. And we've been depression proof. We've been epidemic proof. In fact, the worse things are the more people rely on theater and entertainment to bring themselves together. And for the first time, we, we don't have that in our back pocket as, as a carrot to bring more, diverse opinions and fresh blood into our industry. So I thought I would reach out to some people who have a very unique perspective on that topic. Today, I'd like to welcome Philip Villar. He is a lighting and production designer out of Dallas, as well as Megan Wilson. They are a product support specialist at High End Systems. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it, Megan and Phil.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, it was great.
0: So the first question that I have is that you guys are both in the entertainment instruction industry. You're, you're on the side of bringing more people into our industry, as well as being professionals yourselves. And let's start this one with Phil. What are you telling the kids these days about our industry and, and why they should be encouraged to join us?
2: I think uh, you know it, it's a honestly it's a very good question because a lot of them know you know because I don't lie to them they ask you know I'm a first year teacher also and they're asking like what got you into teaching and you know I tell them honestly I'm like well the answer is because uh, COVID you know decimated my entire industry right now and I needed to find work <laughs> so like I, <laughs> that's you know, honest I, yeah I mean like yeah and not that I was you know I was planning on getting um into teaching anyway because I just graduated with my MFA. So I was preparing with teaching at a university at least. But then when COVID hit, most if not all universities immediately went to some sort of level of hiring freeze. So that led me into high school. And I kind of realized that I ended up being a better option. But to answer your question, like how do I kind of convince them? Um honestly I just I just tell them that like at the end of the day, like you know, the theater has survived the bubonic plague. And after the dark ages came the Renaissance, you know, and that's, you know, from a historical standpoint, that's just kind of how you have to look at it. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard right now, but, you know, I'm still introducing them to theater that, you know, is being live streamed at the very least that, you know, I, I, I introduced them that theater is more than just coming into a building with four walls and watching people either, you know, in the round or a proscenium. It's more of a captivating story, uh, storytelling experience that's live. So that that's kind of how I've been explaining it.
0: Oh, man, that is succinct. I, I don't know if I could have said it any better. That is, uh, don't focus on the darkest of times, focus on how we're gonna, how the phoenix is gonna rise from the ashes here. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. Phil teaches at the Dallas Independent School District, and you're teaching grades nine through twelve. Yeah. So you get a, a wide spectrum of ages. So you you get the people that are just like kind of thinking about of our industry, right?
2: Yeah, most of them end up taking my class, thinking like, "How do I make good TikToks?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, I could definitely show you that. Uh let me show you what a Fresnel is and I'll show you how like, you know, a ring light actually changes your entire uh dynamic of lighting.
0: <laughs> as funny as that is, that is the core of theater, isn't it? It's like, hey, you want a story? Let's mm-hmm. let's show you how to tell that story the best possible way. Yeah. Okay. So Megan, you have a different mm-hmm. stance on this. Uh, you're, uh, you are taking the people who have already decided that they are in our industry and your job is to refine them and teach them even further. So you have a little bit, you don't have to convince them of our industry, but you do have to convince them to spend money to progress. Is that accurate?
1: Um. Yeah, actually, yes. I mean, obviously we want them to spend money to buy gear and stuff like that. Um, ultimately, I want them to further like their understanding of what money they've spent already, though, um, because like I mean, you can spend anywhere from five thousand dollars to eighty thousand dollars on any console, not just mm-hmm. you know Hog, but on any console you can spend in that range. But if you don't know how to use it, well, then it's just a big paperweight in my <laughs> eye, in my eyes. I mean, yes, <laughs> with some fancy glowing buttons sometimes um but it's like gorgeous
0: paperweight if yeah uh, if that's what people are into
1: yeah exactly i mean i have some very nice paperweights on my desk right now that i've slowly started to try to learn during this time um <laughs> but like so during this like pandemic it has been more of hey like you did spend this money why don't you take some time to actually learn and f- further your skills that way on the flip side you come back and you're able to earn more money. Like you have then shown to yourself, you have then shown that, Hey, you took this time to better yourself and to be that better programmer or better understand the tools that you have at hand. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I think that that exact mentality is what brought a lot of people through the first month or two mm-hmm. of the pandemic. I think we all thought that that was exactly what we were going to do during the pandemic. And is it still holding true nine months later? Are people still attempting to better themselves?
1: They they actually are based on the emails and the forum posts and the Facebook group posts that I see. Like people are in there trying to, they're like, hey, well, ETC Nomad Key now works with HOG. Like we see a lot of that crossover. Like a lot of people are coming from the EOS world and been like, hey, I have this downtime still. Like the theater still hasn't opened back up. I might as well install this on Pog, on PC and see what's going on with it. Um, I know I've handed, I've emailed out a bunch of like hog training documents and the visualizer files with it and said, Hey, if you have any questions, my job is to literally make sure that you understand what you're doing. Like, feel free, call anytime we will get you sorted out. We will get this set up for you.
0: Oh, that is so refreshing to hear. Mm-hmm. There's still momentum moving forward in that, uh, in that regard mm-hmm. that people are still realizing that when we come back our skills are still going to need to be the refined at the refined level of like, Hey, you've had nine months to learn this. If you don't know it by now, like we got to what, what did mm-hmm. you do? What have you been up to for the last nine months?
1: Right. And it's, and it's hard. Cause like, I mean, you have people that are going to think that, and then you also have people who are going to understand and be like, well, I do know that part of the part of the time, like unemployment benefits weren't as good as they could be. So then you had to pick up the second job to make yourself through and pay for healthcare or pay for whatever you need to do, which is like, well, that's fine. I understand. People will understand that. But at the same time, you still understand like new movies are still coming out new. Like we're figuring out how to bring live streaming, like theater into the world. Like Phil said, like they're showing their classes. Hey, there's live stream theater. Live stream concerts are starting to happen more and more. Like things are still happening in the industry. It's just how people are experiencing them are slightly different.
0: Oh, that's a great point. Uh, in fact, I want to take that a little bit further and go to you, Phil. How has teaching, and I know you're new at this one, but how is teaching even happening these days? Uh, has it affected you much in Dallas?
2: Um, yeah, I, Dallas is actually one of the highest cases right now, unfortunately, in the state of Texas, because uh, everything's bigger in Texas, baby. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, for, for one thing, uh, what we... know with with Dallas Independent School District we also actually have one of the highest level of students who are um families of homeless of homelessness so it's it, it wasn't such an easy cut and dry immediately going like we're going going strictly you know digital or remote you know or asynchronous right um it was you know it was a little bit more complicated than that because we have students who literally either live in a hotel room or they live in shelters that you know they close out from one to five so they can clean and sanitize and stuff like that and open it back up at seven so they you know so dallas independent school district is really um you know we've become responsible for these students and not just providing food and education but shelter as well so we've uh we've adopted a hybrid approach where essentially uh student uh, parents can opt in to having their parents uh, their students still come in person um, I'm fortunate at least that my space, my teaching space is the auditorium or the theater. So most of the time, if I'm doing a lecture, they're sitting out in the house and they're like seats upon seats apart. Cause the theater can support about, I think like 150 or 200 seats. So, you know, I can, you know, I have that space for that. Um, and honestly, you know, the biggest challenge is not so much, you know, how am I juggling between the digital students and the ones who are in person, you know, and, figure it's the, the more difficulty is like how can I create an assignment that works best for both of them because I can't exactly send each one of them a source for and they have to record how to replace a lamp right um it could, it could, that could obviously get a, a very bad idea um so a lot of it right now for me is create is creating the class as a design element so right now we are um we're reading the musical uh, man of la mancha it's a story about don quixote and uh, we're creating um, visual renderings with, uh, with Photoshop and how to create digital renderings. Because one of the things with high school is that there's, you know, they're not all of them are going to be there to want to do theater or want to be the next Broadway star or anything like that. A lot of them are taking it because it's an elective or maybe it's something they've done when they were in elementary school. So for me, I'm, I, I don't teach just theater as in a craft, but as a practical trade that, you know, when people, when they walk out, you know, they might not be interested in theater, but maybe they're interested in marketing. And because they took my class, they know Photoshop now, you know, or maybe, you know, their dad is a construction, you know, owns a construction shop and because there's no woodworking. And so um, the main thing right now for me is how to use this time right now, not as a, how to teach theater as a craft, but how to utilize their time, to the best of their ability, because many of them are seniors that are graduating, and how can they pick up skills and trade when they get out? So at least what I can provide is them learning how to use software and how to design aesthetically.
0: Oh, that's a great point. That's often all too overlooked in the fact that with a degree in theater and knowing the the fundamentals of entertainment, you can apply that to anything. You can apply it to business. You can apply it to marketing. You can apply it to politics. Uh, it's, it's really just storytelling and the tools necessary to tell uh, a good story even better. Yep. Things like uh, VectorWorks and AutoCAD. I mean, every, that's that's those are all universals now. You can't, you can use that anywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. I uh, I'm actually one of my uh, assignments is actually them uh, learning how to make Lego pieces in VectorWorks. <laughs> so they're gonna have to make a Lego set out of <laughs> out of those handmade Lego pieces that they made on VectorWorks. Right on.
0: That's awesome. I want to get back to that in just a little bit, but uh, in the meantime, Megan, same, same, similar, or similar question. How, how has your training completely changed? Uh, Obviously, you can't be sitting at the same console with somebody now.
1: Yeah, um, it's actually something that we're we as a team are currently like trying to figure out more. I actually just recently did a semi training type deal where they were watching me push buttons and it's just nowhere near the same as that like real time interaction. Um, so it's it's going to, we're trying to figure out like how, are, like do we ship gear? Do we, is it only available for people who kind of know what's going on? Like, I feel like we're starting to kind of discuss like what exactly is going on with that. But um, like personally, like outside of that, like over the summer we did a huge webinar series of like where I was just pushing buttons on hog Floor PC and we'd let people come in and ask whatever questions they wanted. And it was real. I mean, I think it worked really well because then they could get the, then the people that took the webinar could then come in and say, Hey, I need these questions on this very specific topic and get actually like basically a one-on-one idea plus everyone else who asked questions. So they're not only are they learning from me, they're also learning from the other people who are asking questions. And we got to reach a whole I feel like we got to reach a whole lot more than what we would in a normal summer, just because like in a normal summer, we're offering training classes in Orlando, New York, Austin, and LA. Sorry. I'm just trying to remember where exactly we, we offer. Um, right. And just those really four locations, unless someone special asks us to come out, like, and we've gone to four wall before and done an open training there. Um, but like, and, but there's still a whole middle of the country that we're missing at that point. And that's just also the United States that's missing out on the rest of the world. That's also experiencing this pandemic, like right. being able to we've We're just adjusting and trying to make it work to where we can have like an online presence with training, which is, it's just, I mean, it's trying to figure out how this back and forth is going to work. Like how we're talking right now, like how do we also translate that into physically pushing buttons and making sure you're understanding it correctly?
0: Man, it sounds like you're just trading one obstacle for another mm-hmm. where with when you're going from place to place, you've got the obstacle of location, but then when you switch to online, you've just switched the obstacle of geography for the obstacle of tactile interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, guess, I mean, you have to weigh the consequences.
1: Right. And like, I feel like you can't replicate a true, like any type of like actual training without having hands-on for equipment. doesn't matter Mm -hmm. whose console you're touching whatsoever, or even if you're doing like fix your type training, like if you can't actually, if the person taking the class or taking any kind of course can't actually touch what you're talking about, it's not going to sink in nearly as well as if you, if they were touching it and following it, following it along. Yeah. Um, and having that, like, I keep saying that real time interaction of here and there, like, I feel like it's a, it's not easier, but like software based learning, kind of like what Phil's doing with, the, with their classes, where it's uh, Photoshop, Vectorworks, like they can kind of follow along at the same point and see exactly where everyone's at. They can ask questions, the interaction's still there, and you don't have to worry about there's like this huge console, plus the visualizer, plus all this other stuff that has to come with it, like... It, it's a little bit, it's a less barrier. Like, yes, it would be much better to be in person and seeing in real time, like facial expressions, seeing what's going on. But it's it's interesting how we're all adjusting to having to do everything digital only.
0: Yeah. In fact, that is the that leads in perfectly to my next question for you, Phil. The software that's available to us, is that is that helping break down barriers or is that building up obstacles for people to enter our industry, I'm thinking when I was trained in our industry, all I needed was a, a, a sharp pencil, some paper, and a template. And I could draw a lighting plot. Nowadays, uh, a license to do something that is an industry standard is thousands of dollars. Uh, even things like Photoshop and uh, and uh, Lightright, I mean, those are all not free anymore. Is that, uh, is that building up obstacles?
2: Um, Of course, yeah, for sure. And like, for one thing for us right now is that many of our students don't even have laptops. So Dallas Independent School District provided uh, Chromebooks to all these students. And so, wow, yeah, yeah. Many of them, not even just laptops, many of them don't even have internet at home. So Dallas Independent School District, again, uh, I can't say this enough how much I love the school district. They provided each student who has no accessibility to internet with free Wi-Fi hotspots so they can use it and they'll still have a uh, connection to the internet and with Chromebooks to boot. Um, you know, unfortunately that kind of led to my own hurdle because I've never worked with Chromebooks. Chromebooks to me are just basically Androids with a keyboard attached. So like, <laughs> yeah, so like- So, even so you're not I'm
1: completely saying- wrong.
2: Yeah, I mean, right. So, I mean, like, so even when like I'm saying Photoshop, I'm actually not even using Photoshop because Photoshop is not available on Chromebook. Right. I'm using a web browser version uh, that is in Russia. <laughs> it's a Russian domain website that is totally a ripoff of Photoshop, but they call it like Photo P or something like that. Um, and and so like, but like the the whole layout is still Photoshop. So I use that as, so that way, if they ever get a chance to work on it, whether they choose to work on, on a natural Photoshop or this, you know, this third brand web browser version, which is free, um, I still provide them with that kind of level of training. But yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing right now, and I actually had a, um, a training, um, I, I, even though I'm a first year teacher, I ended up having to host a training for uh, older teachers. Um, on how to teach online format. And the biggest hurdle, the biggest mistake that I found with teachers doing is that they taught, they used their lessons and taught their lesson plans that they've had for like 20 plus years and trying to fit into a Zoom format without first even trying to just explain to the kids how does Zoom work? or like how do these any of these softwares that work so they're like okay today we're going to learn how to you know like i didn't go into the space immediately go like hey guys today we're going to learn how to make a theater no I, because then they would immediately be like uh what you're going to like, oh yeah you're going to make a 3d cube you know cut it out over here no first i was like this is this is the cursor and you can use this cursor to click on this tool set you know because you have to really be that elementary unfortunately and part of it is you know uh, you know this is where it kind of bashes on public school for a little bit you know there's not enough investment on technology with our students right now it kind of it was just kind of expected um partly because of megan and i's generation that we picked up technology really really well and they're like oh you know these kids you know they're gonna you know if they're picking up technology well then the next generation will but failed to realize part of the reason we worked so well was because we had like computer typewriting classes. We had, you know, like we had these like, you know, lo- learn how to use Word document and PowerPoint. Like these were resources that are available in the school that immediately got, kind of got taken away because they thought that these are world lessons that they will learn by the time they got into public school. And so, like a lot of my students, they don't even know how to type. I, I see them type like this. Like, if it, for those of you in the audio section, is using their individual yeah. fingers and typing a key by key, you and know, and it's and it's hard. Yep,
1: hunt and peck, not just for dimmer checks, yeah. Also for yeah. keyboard typing.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh man, so, so that, uh, yeah, this so is totally people- a a side. This is a tangent here, but is that making people? That level of technology is that making people smarter, or is that dumbing them down? I'm trying to think of like uh, predictive texting and spell checks. Is that is that helping or is that is that hurting them?
2: I think it is helping, but it's helping them for different reasons. Because at the end of the day, you know, students they're they're not they don't play with keyboards. They use touch technology. So like, yeah. you know, you give a you, you give a student a, a, a tablet or a phone, you know, I can tell them like you do this and they'll figure it out on a tablet or phone because they grew up on a tablet on a phone or a phone, right? right. But we yeah. grew up on keyboards, we grew up on typewriters, you know, like so that that level of hardware change is a big difference. And a lot of people kind of re- forget that. They they associate that a tablet is at the same par level as a mac as a laptop and they think a laptop is at the same par level as a desktop when they're just completely different hardware is completely different right. instruments mm-hmm. you know it's like assuming that like oh you know how to change a tungsten oh here's an arc light you replace that lamp you're good oh you know how to replace an arc lamp here's an led engine one of the diodes got out can you resolder a new one <laughs> like
0: yeah they're not the same
2: they're not the same. they're not
0: the same at all so. Uh, I do have to take a moment to just celebrate that the, the Dallas Independent School Board was able and willing to go to that length. That, mm-hmm. uh, that was really great to hear. Just Chromebooks for, for all the student. students who don't have one.
2: Every student. Even if you do have a laptop, they'll still give you a Chromebook. If just in case, like, you know, have it just in case. And doc, mm-hmm. Dr. Hanna our superintendent, he's in the process right now of having Dallas Independent School District. Provide free broadband inter- uh, Wi-Fi internet um, to the to the city of Dallas to the to the whole district as a whole. That's oh, awesome. such
0: socialism alive and well in Dallas, huh?
2: You know, I, I mean, is that work? what it's
1: like when your governor doesn't hate you? I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's my superintendent. That's the saddest thing. It's like this is a local, this is a like a county, you know, a, a district inner city school superintendent that is like you know, being like, okay, um, if the county and the state won't provide internet, I guess the school district will. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's good to hear. Uh, I feel like that's how we break down those barriers is we have to, you know, if somebody can't come into our industry because they don't have a Chromebook, let's let's find a way. Let's, let's, let's get creative. Let's reach out to anybody who's willing to help. Like, Hey, we need Chromebooks to get people in the entertainment industry or any industry we have to teach them Photoshop. We have to give them the skills necessary for them to at least make the decision if this is right for them.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think like more focus on those skills at that age are really what's important to, to get people into the industry. It's like, you don't like knowing Photoshop in high school can open so many doors or like even a a type of photoshop it doesn't have to be photoshop as phil pointed out like it can literally be any photo editing or photo composition type software like knowing that though you're going to open so many doors like in our industry anywhere because i mean not just in our industry for designers but you need marketers as we're talking on plsn's podcast mm-hmm. um, we need marketing like layout specialists there's um projection design media design like all of that like you just, you, these are just fundamental skills that I feel like are needed in the majority of our, of our industry.
2: And it actually ends up by the end of that, it ends up actually making students having a better understanding of what they want to do for a living afterwards. And it closes the, you know, and it closes the, the the knowledge gap when you actually get to college and you actually start paying for education like i that's why I, I tell my students like i'd rather you guys sit in this room for free right now learning how to use a software than going to college paying you know 10 20 grand a year or a semester to learn something that you more or less could have learned from the beginner level off a youtube video you know, like, yeah. at least, if you're going to start paying for your classes, at least start paying for when you're at the adept or the advanced levels, not the beginner level.
1: I mean, that's why I went to UT was because my, I went to a super small school. here. I mean, so, uh, my town had 1500 people here in Texas. We had 12 source fours and 12 source four pars with a smart fade. It was great um awesome i got involved in a community theater like 30 minutes out that was just a slightly big like the town was slightly bigger which was great um got me involved there and i was like man i want to learn more and so then i went to ut here in austin to actually learn theater more because like there wasn't anything else i knew i could do as at high school age that i could do besides get involved in community theater get involved in one-act play here in texas like that was about it. So then it was like, great, the next step is going to school to pay to learn the basics and learn what opportunities actually exist in the industry.
0: All right. So let's take this a little bit more personal. But Megan, what, yeah. were, the, what were the obstacles in your path to get into the industry? I mean, you're, you're doing quite well with high end now. Obviously, there had to have been something that drove you Was there anything that was willing, uh, that was able to like even deter your will to make it here?
1: Um, I'm, so I, I really like technology and I really like tinkering. And once I realized like that, there was a space for that in the industry. Like while I was in school, I was like, that's what I want to do. That's where I want to be. Um, and then sophomore, so I went into UT thinking I was going to be a stage manager or lighting designer, one of those two, like that's that that, that was end game at the end of it. Um, sophomore year, I took an automated lighting course with Amarante Lucero, and he was like, hey, you like really like this technology stuff, you should come do study abroad in Costa Rica. And we and I was like, okay, sure, I'll take any chance again to just learn more and further, like my further my education. I mean, that's what school was for. I was already paying for it. I might as well pay a little bit more and get a little bit more into it. Um, and at that point, he was also like, "Oh, High wants to open their internship program, by the way." Like at the end of that semester, like I would like, and I was like how do I do that? After working with a lot of being in Austin, we had a lot of like track spots, cyber lights, techno beams in our, in, in our inventory now uh, or then. Um, and I was like, great. How do I, how do I get there? And he just basically helped me get like helped, helped me understand what I needed to know to get there. Um, If that makes sense. So he, yeah. He taught, he led me in the, he didn't give me the information, but he led me in the direction that I needed to, to find the information myself.
0: For you to even know that there was an internship available Mm -hmm. is, is the overcoming of the obstacle. There's a lot of people that just don't even know that those are available.
1: Right. Or like, what I like to say is I didn't even know this type of job existed. Like, (laughs) like, let's be real. How many high schoolers think of the manufacturer, like who makes the product that they're using? Like. Like, I mean, ETC, like how many people would think, oh, that light was made by ETC. I wonder what job opportunities there are with that company. Right. Like that, that was like the main thing that I think got me out, got that I took out of, out of the university is the industry is great, like for productions and stuff like that. But what makes the productions run? And that's where I found like I fit really well in the industry. is more on the manufacturing side than the production side, if that makes sense. Okay.
0: So, how was yeah. the internship? Was it oh, a paid it... internship or? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was at least a. There was some sort of encouragement there.
1: Yeah. So it was a paid internship. It was. Um, I think it was like ten or twelve dollars an hour, uh, okay. which was really really nice. Um, yeah. Being, and and they worked really well with school uh with school schedule and with if shows came up and I wanted to do the shows um if I was designing the show they would say hey why don't you take this console and you know do some beta testing for it and I said okay sure yes that'd be great i will take because like as every other university school has they all have ions and well being at high end and doing the internship there i was like well i want to use a hog i don't want to use the etc thing like let me let me use what I'm using at work, like, because <laughs> um, it's also what I know. So if you want me to be fast, like this is what I can do.
2: Right. Um,
1: so they would let me occasionally take take a console, go use it for a show, and or give me the beta software on a USB stick and let me use it for a show if we had the, if we were already using our console on the show. But it was, I mean, it was really fun. It was really good. The internship uh, was in research and development, so I was working. With the newest software, testing out bugs, all that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, it was paid, which was great. Cool. Um, at the end of the intern, or about a year in, right before the summer, before senior year, they actually offered me the product support job as part-time to finish up my degree that last year, and then go full-time after after that, basically.
0: Right on. Yeah. I just want to take a moment to just recognize that a a paid internship is another example of tearing down the obstacles Mm -hmm. to get into our industry. We all love the idea of an unpaid internship. And I think a lot of people think that that's how you pay your dues, but I think a lot of people will forget the privilege that's necessary to be able Mm -hmm. to even support an unpaid internship. An unpaid internship doesn't buy food. It doesn't pay rent. It doesn't even put gas in your car.
1: An unpaid internship during college means you have to take out more loans to put yourself through college, which is, I mean, you're already coming, the average student already comes out with so much, so many loans, like at the, uh, at the end of uh, like a four year uh, just a standard four year degree. Right. Like, especially if you don't like curtail, like anything with AP courses, community college, anything like that, like dual credit, like you're taking out so many loans to just put yourself through school that an unpaid internship is just such a privilege for someone to be able to accept at that point.
2: Yeah. It's not even a, a viable option for many, mm-hmm. you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I was, I was broke as broke in my undergrad. And I, I like, I was like, I can't take an unpaid internship. I, I need to pay my car, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like, I, I was fortunate that I was a, an intern at ETC as well uh, in New York. And, you know, and because again, I, 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 you know, you don't have the option for taking an unpaid internships or worse internships that require you to pay them Mm -hmm. you know is that a thing uh it was yeah uh williamstown theater festival (laughs) oh wow you you had to pay for room and board to for to be an unpaid intern I, i don't think they use that practice now uh but back when i was in undergrad that was yeah 500 bucks up front
0: damn that's uh i hope that's not happening anymore i mean that's uh that's exploitation right there that's mm-hmm. uh yeah that's the uh, that is the barrier right there like, i i don't know why people would sign up for that outside of the the carrot of experience mm-hmm. and i'm hanging mm-hmm. the air quotes here like yeah but look at you you were part of the williamstown festival you're like
2: what yeah. it's, <laughs> I, I keep on thinking to that like those 1920s movies when they're like you know trying to take advantage of like a young actress like you want to be a star don't you want to be a star don't you
0: just sit on this couch right here i got a staff oh yeah
2: yeah exactly (laughs) that's that's kind of like what it is it's just like oh you want to you want to work with brian mcdevitt this is how you work with brian mcdevitt 500 bucks up front (laughs) no i mean like yeah i mean it's yeah i i I, megan knows this (laughs) better than most that like i have a very sore subject when it comes to uh labor practices um i i grew up um you know with my dad being in the union i joined the union when i worked in construction paying towards college you know and now i'm part of a teacher's union like i've, I've been in a union for most of my life most of my adult life
0: how strong is the teacher's union down there
2: uh to the best of its ability texas is still a right to work state so yeah. it's you know so it's very hard for the most part it's like You know, we can't strike, but, you know, the relationship and the power between Alliance, uh, AFT Alliance, that's our union, and the Dallas Independent School District, we have a pretty strong relationship with one another, and they do care about our input to many extent. Um, So, you know, I'm happy with them. I will say that.
0: Okay, cool. I want to touch on a subject that you had mentioned a little bit earlier about how you were, even as a first year teacher teaching the teachers is that because you're younger and part of the the newer generation and that you are more comfortable with technology and that you had to kind of like bring them into the technological age or were you or were you seen as just the young kid trying to show off
2: Oh, I, I, a little column A, a little column B, I bet. I don't know, I haven't <laughs> asked. Uh, no, for me, I, uh, I, they, uh, they opened up a, when we start at the start of the school year, they opened up a committee in my campus, uh, the remote training, remote teaching committee. And we were required as teachers, are uh, strongly encouraged to join at least one committee. So I was like, okay, this is perfect for me because I, and I tell my students this all the time, you know, I was in their boat just last year. You know, I just graduated from my graduate school you know, so like I, you know, I know that struggle. So like I was in their situation in their finals and like after spring break of everything being online. So, I you know so a lot of times I ended up kind of ta- you know talking to teachers about the situation, and be like you know, and a lot of times I, my 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 question is always this: record yourself lecturing for ninety minutes because that's how long our class period is. Sit down and actually see if you can sit down and retain all the information that you've picked up by talking for 90 minutes straight. And so I started picking up like legit, like statistics and like other practices. And so, like, for example, I, the one thing I always bring up is Ted talk, Ted talk has a maximum of 18 minutes, not a minute more, not a minute less. That is the the maximum amount of time a lecturer can speak at a TED Talk, 18 minutes, because they have done scientific and data studies to prove that anything more than 18 minutes starts kind of going into the wayside for retaining information. Now, if TED Talk created this formula and this method for lectures to speak to people of their field, and they say, you know, Megan talking to other lighting designers, the maximum that Megan can talk to is 18 minutes. You know, to other lighting designers, how long do you think you can retain information of high school students from 14 to 17 years old? You know, how long do you think you can return data for information? Because if it's if you're talking for more than 18 minutes, it's gone already. And another thing I would I would tell them is that, like, you have to realize, you know, our students are have already grown up with remote, they use things like Twitch, and YouTube gaming and mixer and stuff like that. We just have to practice that same similar formula. So for example, like, I talk to my students, but like, you know, even something as dumb as like switching up vernacular. So like, I don't say I here guys, here's my assignment for you. I say, hey, guys, I created some new content for you guys. Here's some content to work with. You know, it, because at least, because assignment, even for me personally, it has just a, a negative connotation to it. I'm like, if somebody gives me a stack of assignments, I'm going to roll my eyes. But if somebody says, hey, I created some content, can you check it out? That's like, okay, I'll check it out. You know, I don't, re- I don't refer to my students as my students. I say, hey, let's go on, let's see what's going on in the chat. You know, even something as dumb as when I make them fill up my attendance form, um, because some students don't come to my Zoom meetings they work asynchronously or remotely so like they'll like do they'll do my assignment but without coming to my Zoom meeting so they fill out the form i tell them hey don't forget to subscribe for today's class today you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's silly and they, they they laugh they think like okay like they know when i say content they know this is homework and i'm like <laughs> i know you know that this is homework it's but it's
1: another like way to get them every- Get them involved. Like, exactly. I mean, you're, you're getting their intention by saying words that they're used to, like. Exactly.
2: Like buzzwords are buzzwords for mm-hmm. a reason, you know? And like, I'm in the process of trying to figure out like whether or not, if I'm allowed to have my, create my class on discord, you know? And so that, because a lot of them have discord. If they have questions they want to ask me, they can ask me on discord, you know, try, you know, rather than trying to have the students who already have a preconceived notion of what remote engagement is you know, and trying to fit them into this Zoom platform, which isn't always great for students. Let's see what, how they're learning. And because at the end of the day, our biggest competitor, you know, in our education market, when students are learning from home, is people on Twitch doing the same exact thing. The only difference is, is that they're streaming Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, it's not like these kids mm-hmm. are leaving the computer to not go to class they're literally just muting our tab and going and opening up another tab so it's, so the engagement isn't physical it's just retaining information and if you're not good at you know engaging with your audience then you need to be better and that's just being <laughs> a teacher in general i mean like i no, but it's just a fact i'm sorry mm-hmm. you know like it's not the
0: kid's fault it's the teacher's fault if if you're not interesting yeah, yeah I've, i'm with you
2: mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like at the end of the day, you're a lecturer and only like, I think I try to remember the study now. I think it's only like less than 25% of uh, people in the U.S. are auditory learners. Right. Many of them are mostly visual and tactile learners. So like you, you know, you're, you're fighting against math already. Like you think talking through a, a camera for 90 minutes, this is an acceptable form of education. You need to change your method. You know, I'm sorry. This is not the 20th century form of education anymore. You have to change. You know, it's it's just like teachers who got upset when they were starting to require teachers to create their um, assignments on PowerPoint. They're like, oh, I never used PowerPoint. I just relied on my old overhead projector and my stacks of clear plastics of paper, you know, plastic <laughs> mm-hmm. sheets, you know, like, it. you know, sometimes you, you got to change. You can't even not get an for, overhead it, projector anymore.
1: Now I've yeah. tried to get some for shows. It's hard. If somebody showed
0: up with their slides today, I would be like, yeah, I'm sorry. You need uh, you need a USB stick. Yeah, I
2: brought, I brought my Kodak carousel. <laughs> is, yeah. Where do I put this?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you where to put it. So Megan, you might be able to answer this one best as anybody. Has this level of technology connected us more or less? And I put that in, the, in the regards to the fact that you are always available now. Whereas before, when when Phil was off, he had like, he would have class hours. Like you don't have any class hours now. Like you're always available, and I would imagine that's especially frustrating or even beneficial for you, Megan. That you're just always available.
1: Um. So it's I guess it's kind of weird because like I've grown up in the like social media era also where I've always been available for everything. I guess it's like so like. Sometimes people expect a response to your email at nine o'clock at night. And I've just, I've like, during this whole time, well, for the past couple of years, even like, even before, like, I've always wanted to always be available, but then that was taking a, a toll on my mental health. So like, I personally have set, unless I'm actually the one on call for support, I'm not checking my email outside the hours of eight to five 30, like as much as possible. Like. If, if something comes in and it's super important i will break that but i have noticed in this time because everyone's all over the place right now and you know they're learning around this second job they're doing this they're doing that like i i've gotten emails at super late at like one or two in the morning of hey do you have this fixture library and it's like <laughs> um, yes i will get that to you I, i'm not gonna respond because it's 2 a.m in the morning but you'll get it You'll get it like the next day at like eight or like seven 30. If I'm like having my cup of coffee and it's like, cool, I can respond really quickly and get this done.
2: Um, Yeah, I will say that it is very hard to know Megan, a product specialist, and not be like, oh, maybe I could be no, 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 I'm not gonna be a monster. I am a good person. I will not I will not call Megan at eleven o'clock at night just because I was irresponsible and decided to know how to do a fixture, uh, create a fixture, you know, the, the hours before tech. I will not do this. This is my fault. And I put my phone down like a good person. (laughs)
1: but then I always say no it's what I'm here for it's what it's why I get it's why high end pays me the money like (laughs) it's to make sure that you're taken care of and your show gets up and running like at the end of the day like I also don't want a show to look bad yeah so like if someone just personally calls me at like eight o'clock at night and I'm and we're just watching tv I'm like hey I have to go take this call real quick let me go take the call like it'll hopefully be 30 minutes tops like Mm -hmm. If it ends up going longer than that, then I might be like, Hey, I'm going to have someone call you who's a little bit more equipped right now to help you. But like, we're going to get, make make sure the show is taken care of. But yes, I have like answering your first question. I have seen like a little bit more of emails or forum posts or something else just come in at really weird hours to actually be available. Like it has been like, they like, usually you get the like seven. So central time, like seven to like seven seven to seven hours are generally popular for emails. Cause you're also dealing with, um, West coast, which has a two hour time difference, right? So like, that's about when I expect normal emails, but I have gotten a lot of emails between 7. PM and 7. AM that are just really like out there. <laughs> and it's just like, huh, what are you doing with your time? And then like, I'll get on the phone. It'll be like, Hey, can you give me a call back? Like, it's okay if it's during working hours tomorrow, I just had to actually send off this email so that I remember to send off the email. Right. Right. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'll give you a call. And like, I'll just respond back to the email and be like, hey, I'll give you a call at like 10, 10 a.m. tomorrow. Is that cool? And they're like, yes, that is perfectly fine. That's all I needed. I was like, great. Thanks so much. Yeah. I think um, that's what
0: the- most respectful people mm-hmm. would do. They'd be like, hey, I know you're probably out drinking on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you hit me up Monday morning? Yeah. Pretty please.
1: Yeah. And that's that's what they most, mostly are. Um, there are the occasional like, Facebook messages, which I usually, I usually don't mind also though, um, because I'm pretty active in like the non-official like hog for Facebook group, just because I'm like, I know this information. It makes my job easier. If you also know the information, like, right. um, like I don't, I, I love helping people or else I wouldn't be a product support specialist. Like if you don't like helping people being in support is not the right position. Sounds um, like you're
0: fairly benevolent, but with, uh, with, with some boundaries that you've set for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's mean, yeah. I mean, boundaries—they're—they're good in all realms of the industry, though, because like you also don't want to be the person that's like, "Great, I am grinding my crew until three a.m. and we're gonna get this just tech through," because then everyone's gonna hate you. Yeah. Like you also have to respect your like other people's boundaries at the same time.
0: So Phil, is the same true for you? Because I know that some. Some students' parents might not be as willing to respect those hours as some others.
2: Nope i uh, I actually had a situation uh, just a couple of weeks ago where uh, a parent uh, called me at seven o'clock at night, and uh, I do not give them my personal phone number. I I have a uh, office phone number, but it's through Skype, so mm-hmm. like I'll still get a phone call, you know, through the app at least. Sometimes I'll pick it up, sometimes I won't. But, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, when a lot of times our, it's students that are, don't come to my Zoom meetings and they're like, oh, how do you do this? And I'd be like, well, uh, you could have showed up to my Zoom meeting and you would have figured it out. Otherwise, you'll need to do this reading to do it. And I'd be like, oh, I don't have time to do the reading. And I'd be like, eh, I, I don't know what to tell you. My personal favorite is when I have a parent who tells me that if their kid is not in the Zoom meeting, they want me to call the, them to let them know. To get their kid to go on their laptop. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, how how would you do it? I was like, oh, I would just go into their bedroom. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that you're home while your kid, you have the you're in the fortunate situation that you're home while your kid is learning from home. And you want me to call your cell phone so you can walk from the kitchen to the kids' bedroom so that you can open the door and tell them, hey. Mm-hmm. get on your laptop <laughs> as opposed to just checking in and you know that school starts at 9 a.m and ends at 4 30. You know? Wow
0: that is some entitlement right there.
2: Yeah that's that's the craziest one but most of them though they're, they're you know most of them they, you know they're, they're like you Chris like they they appreciate that you know the, the the work that we're doing and that you know we're a lot of us are still learning as well you know and trying to figure out what's the best way to educate our kids you know it's you know it's at the end of the day it's like it, it only makes our job harder if we're not getting this right because next year we we are expecting that next year you know if things go back to normal quote unquote uh, you know to a little bit of regressing we're, we're going to be expecting that but you know we what we're trying to do right now at least is trying to cushion the blow as much as possible because there's some teachers who don't even recognize that like what if your family you know what if your student is a family of like six and all six of your of their siblings right now all five of their siblings right now are on the same boat they're all on their computers you know going through online classes think of the bandwidth you know so like while parent you know while teachers are like oh i want my students to have their cameras on their mics on i tell them at least if their mic is on when they're talking i'm okay because i don't need to see their faces mm-hmm. i don't need to see their faces if they're engaged you know if they have questions put it into the chat if they're too shy of asking to the chat then make a poll i have a simple poll that says do you understand the assignment and they put in click yes or no you know and it, it comes down to that trying to make it as easily and accessible to everybody as possible
1: right and on. i feel like that last part is like really like what this whole time has been about i'll be honest like even from like our end when we were doing webinars it was like how do we make this as easy and as accessible for everyone yeah like what about the people that can't make it well great we'll throw it up on youtube like Mm -hmm. it's just making it available and giving everyone during this time the chance to better themselves or the chance to you know complete assignments all that kind of stuff like help help them we we will help you help yourself basically at the end of the day
2: and I think that's kind of like the biggest thing right now with what we're finding out in this whole pandemic and not just from an education standpoint, but just from a people standpoint on how like, A, uh, the internet is not a luxury anymore. It is a it is a necessity. It is no different than electricity and water, you know, mm-hmm. to how, you know, being, you know, that resources and how much of those resources are online and that you need, you know, you you know, you can't apply to a job without the internet nowadays. You can't, you know, a lot of people are relying on the internet just to go grocery shopping So, because maybe they're immunocompromised you know, and they need their foods to be delivered now. You know, there's so many, you know, nuts and bolts that are kind of just showing now how much we as a society need the internet. And unfortunately, it took a pandemic and Tiger King to realize that, you know, <laughs>
0: yeah i would go as far to say it's i think our children's generation might consider it a human right
2: yeah i I don't know if it's i I don't know
0: if we're going to see it in our generation but i think eventually it might be it might just be that important mm
2: mm-hmm I know students um, that before the pandemic, they relied on going to li- their public library so they can do their assignments at home. Uh, I mean, get their assignments that are online. Right. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, so we it. are almost out of time, but let's uh, let's kind of wrap it up neatly here. Mm-hmm. Are there any remaining major obstacles that are preventing anybody from getting into the entertainment industry even the pandemic excluded or the, the entire shutdown of our thing but uh, let's start with you Megan is there are there any remaining obstacles that we need to like focus on tearing down to to encourage people or any or even give the option to anybody who's interested in entering the entertainment industry
1: um i would say having a prerequisite. um oh so, uh, sorry i'm trying to figure out how to best say this keeping knowledge for yourself like
0: oh good one not
1: not sharing the knowledge that you have is not going to allow anyone to in- enter the industry whatsoever
0: good point that's a good one
1: uh, there's a lot of people who are like ooh, job security like i know it but i don't want to give you the answer or give it to you in case you get better than me and take my job I've, I've heard that around. I haven't experienced it necessarily, but it is something that still happens.
0: I would say the, the most visible example of that is people shaming other people online for mm-hmm. asking simple questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, why did you ask such a simple question? Like, cause this is a public forum
1: because I don't know the answer. Yeah. Like yeah. Why, why did I ask? Because I don't know the answer and I need to know the answer. That's why, like I I've seen and it's like, and it's, And I'm sure these people that are asking the simple questions see the other simple questions asked and they're like, I know I'm going to get this. I know people are going to be upset at me, Mm -hmm. but I honestly don't know the answer. And it's like, well, then I have to ask it and I know this is going to, and like my social anxiety when I have to ask something on a, on a forum, like raises. So I'm sure like whenever you have to ask like a simple question on any kind of forum, like that person's anxiety is gonna skyrocket. Like, there's no reason to be rude about giving the answer. Like, yeah. yeah, If you want to be even more helpful, give the answer and then give a place where they can find and read more about the answer. Like, Absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's like a snarky yeah. remark is like the cost of admission. If you want to the <laughs> it's like, and it
1: comes from a place too
0: of the generation maybe my generation and the generation before me they're just like hey i had to learn that information Mm -hmm. the hard way just because you have an easy public forum where where you can get access to thousands of professionals at the touch of your fingertips in seconds Mm -hmm. you should have to do it the way i did it and you should have to go to the library and get a book on stagecraft and you should have to find it there and you should have to take a day off work to go get it
1: or go work eight thousand jobs to learn this one thing and it's like Or like, just tell them the answer. Like, no. yes, it doesn't, ex- it doesn't change the experience that you had. Like, just tell them the answer and be like, but it is something you have to perfect over time. Like, even if you just say like, here's your answer. Here's how you change the source for lamp. Yeah. Like, here's how you change the lamp inside, but don't worry. You might have to, it might take a couple thousand to actually get as quick as you see it happening.
2: Yeah. Like
1: yeah. it takes time, but like, here's your answer. Like, I just, I don't understand people.
2: Par lens. Exactly. does It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how good you are in this industry. I want to see. I want to see record break. I want to see a Guinness <laughs> World Record. How quickly you could change a source for parlance.
0: Oh, that was a great example. It drives me insane when I'll go by and I'll see something like, "Hey, how do you change a, a par parlance?" And then below you'll see like 1,900 comments. I like, are you shitting yeah. me? How? <laughs> it should have been. There should have been three people that said, "This is how I did it." Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the next youtube
2: video like, yeah <laughs> it's like when you're looking up a recipe online and it's just like oh how do i make chili well back in my day when i my grandfather and i we perfected the perfect chili and we had a co- cow named bessie and it was like this long novella and then afterwards <laughs> it's just you need three pounds of meat some pe- pepper seasoning and, then, and, and uh, then like eventually you're just gonna be like I, I i didn't need any of this beginning i just needed to literally know how to make chili
1: it's like any recipe you find online like yeah. I don't know like we've gotten it really into trying to make food at home that's slightly tangent but like any recipe you find online you have to go through like five, literally five minutes of scrolling before you get to yeah. the ingredients list and it's like I'm very picky <laughs> so like just getting to the ingredients list is like the first challenge I have when learning how to make <laughs> something new
2: <laughs> so yeah I mean yeah I mean and that's the thing and I think you know For accessibility, I I think it really comes down to teachers, you know, educators and, you know, and students alike, finding out that it's not just going to designers and technicians um, that have the answers, but also look at like manufacturers, you know, my entire career skyrocketed when I got my intern at at ETC and nobody told me that was an option, I just did it. You know, and that was just because I was like, I think we had, I had an alum uh, of my undergrad just offering just like, hey guys, we do, we do, we, we offer internships here. And I'm like, oh my God, I never even thought that ETC would have an intern because like, like Megan said, like, I just say, like, I just think these, you know, these magical little lights just come out of a, a, a wild they just appear. of an egg. It just, they just appear. <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. If only it was that easy. A bunch of Keebler elves making... <laughs> Making hogs and, uh, and etc consoles. It's not quite that. It's not quite that similar.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, right if you on. ever go to
1: the etc factory, that's exactly what it looks like. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I I'd like to picture it in my head that way. I, I'm sure it's not quite as magical as I think it is. But, <laughs> well, Ronald, right thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think we hit on some really good topics here. I think that there are there's some uh, some great discussions to be had there.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. For thanks us.
1: for having us.